coming up on this week's episode of TechSnap. Oracle really doesn't want you to reverse engineer their products, and they made a big stink about it. But they may have just released the Kraken. We'll explain. A massive drop of 35 fixes in a single day that you need to know about. A bunch of really great follow-up, feedback, and much, much more in this week's episode of TechSnap. Hi, everyone, and welcome to TechSnap. This is episode 227 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly systems network and administration podcast. We stream this episode live on August 13th, 2015. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, DigitalOcean, Ting, and IX Systems. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. Oh, our live stream? Why, that's powered by the incredible Scale Engine over at ScaleEngine.com. You should go check that out. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, the admin, the tech, and the teacher, Mr. Alan Jude. Well, hey there, Alan. Hey, Chris, everybody. Thanks for watching. Hello, sir. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Hold on. I think I recognize that snazzy shirt. Is that a TechSnap shirt yes, you're wearing yes. there? Oh, very nice. Look at you rocking the apparel. Now, do you actually ever go out of the house to advertise that, or does nobody else get to ever see that except for... Well, th- th- doesn't my face advertise it enough? Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I was just trying to wonder. I was trying but yes, to... yes, I, I do wear it out. I just okay. happen to have it handy for yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like it. It looks good. It looks good. Uh, in fact... Uh, I think there's another shirt in the works, too, that you might have had a hand yes. in, too. In fact, we should, we should probably, teespring.com slash BSD105, right? Yep. That's the uh, the new BSD Now, all the usual BSDs. Yep. It's a great shirt. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll pull it up BSDnow.tv slash shirt. Oh, there you go. This is what redirects to that. There you go. Hey, Alan, um, I saw this story earlier this week, and um, I, I can't ever think of a time where uh, a chief technology officer of a pretty important company with a pretty large attack surface has come out and basically just said, come at me, bro. Come at me. Like, it, I, this, this has got to be one of the biggest foot-in-the-mouth stories ever, and it's so gorgeous yeah. because it's coming from, of all places, Oracle, which is just rich in itself. So uh, what's going on here, Alan, with our first story? Right. So uh, Chief Security Officer uh, Mary Ann Davidson of Oracle uh, did this blog post, which starts off in kind of a, a weird tone talking about how she likes to write mystery novels or something. It was odd. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it's Oracle basically saying that you should stop reverse engineering our stuff. We fix our own bugs. Leave our code alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're violating our EULA. Stop that. <laughs> so uh, Oracle, which has never been the most researcher-friendly software vendor, has uh, taken this antagonism to an entirely new level with this blog post. Yeah. Uh, where it rails against reverse engineering, saying that the company has no need for researchers to look at Oracle's code for vulnerabilities because that's their job and they do it. Right. And if you don't, if you don't trust them, don't scan it. Just, you know, trust the agreement you have with them. You know, yeah. just trust them. Just trust Oracle, Alan. Yeah. Uh, and it created quite an uproar. So very, very quickly, the blog post was pulled down. Uh, luckily... This is the internet, so that doesn't do any good. <laughs> nope. Uh, so archive.org and Google's cache both have copies that I have links to here if you'd like to read the full unaltered version. I like this. Uh, did you mention that the, uh, the title of the post was No, You Really Can't? Yeah. Which is like... <laughs> Dude, it's really attitude. Can't. It's attitude, it's Alan. so much attitude. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and there's tones and, and, like, uppercase, like, yelling in the post. And, like... The- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh 
Marianne Davidson, who's uh, worked at Oracle for more than 25 years, said in the post that reverse engineering violates Oracle's license agreement and that the com- company regularly sends letters to customers and consultants who it believes have violated the end-user license agreement. She also said that even when researchers try to report a security vulnerability in an Oracle product, the company often takes issue with how the bug was found and won't give any credit to the researchers. Yeah, and even sends like cease and desist letters in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> And this is really where I take the most extreme exception. Um, firstly, I don't imagine it's your regular Oracle customer who's doing the reverse engineering. Right. Right. If, if I'm a company that does X that isn't security, I don't have time to tear apart the Oracle product. So I hire a security consultant or whatever. And specifically, those security research companies um, that go and look for bugs in software, they're either doing it because they're paid to or... They're looking for the bug in the Oracle software to get it fixed for the sake of everybody who uses the software. Yeah. Uh, and the way it works is, you know, they find the bug, they get it fixed, they get credit for finding the bug, and this boosts their reputation, and that's how they get their consulting contracts. Um, this, and, and that's why they're giving this bug away to the vendor for free instead of selling it to the bad guys for money, right? This is the difference between all the good guy security researcher companies that we talk about on the show all the time and the bad guys like VuPen and, and Hacking Team, right? Is that they give it back, <laughs> uh, they give it back to the vendor for free, mm-hmm. specifically in exchange for credit for having found it right. uh, to build their business on. Right. And... If Oracle's like, yeah, we're going to be really annoyed at you and, and screw you around if you try to report a bug to us. And if we eventually do fix it, we won't give you any credit for it. Yeah, I mean, she basically just admitted publicly that they're huge douchebags when people try to help them with their, fit, with their problems. Like, that's essentially what she said is our yeah. corporate response when people try to make our product better is we go after them with legalese. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's really drives me nuts, but... You know, the whole system depends on, A, the vendor actually accepting and acting upon bug reports when they get them, and Oracle, you know, tries to resist and claim, oh, that's not a bug, you know, until you, like, give them a reproducer that shows them that it's still actually a bug. Mm -hmm. So they're just being resistive, and obviously some people are not going to keep following up, right? Right. Uh, And then eventually, when Oracle is this big of a pain, uh, people will just do full disclosure and drop the exploit in the wild immediately. Uh, because when they try to be responsible, Oracle just pushes back. Right? Yeah, you almost have you almost have more legal flexibility when you just publicly disclose, because at least then they haven't sent you a cease and desist and started a process with you where they've told you to stop. Yep. Uh, and they're more forced to fix the problem, too. Yeah, it really does just encourage people to, to just drop this on the web. Yeah, but really, the, the whole way that the security community and the industry works depends on vendors giving credit to people who discover the flaws. And that's why when, you know, uh, later in the show, when we pull up the patch notes from the latest Adobe, at the bottom, they say, oh, thank you to this person at this company for finding this flaw and these three people at this company for finding these five flaws and so on. Because that's an important part of the process, even if it's just in the footnotes, Right. It doesn't have to go in the headline press release. You don't have to be like, oh, we were all saved by the people at Google Project Zero. You just have to give them credit that they can point to, right? Is this, 
Is this about Oracle not wanting to give credit to competitors, maybe? I don't think so. Because most of the places that are finding these bugs are not competitors to Oracle. Yeah, right? okay, yeah. Okay. Like, if you remember when, uh, back in the early days, there was that, was it Polish company? And they found, like, that series of, like, 25 vulnerabilities in Java. Do you remember way back? It was, like, mm. three years ago. God, that all start- no, it's all starting to blur together. Usually I do, yeah. but... Oh. But, yeah, anyway, uh, years and years ago, there was this company. I forget what it was called now, but... Uh, and they had just, you know, started picking away at Oracle and had this list of Java flaws mm-hmm. okay. with new producers. And oh, okay, okay. I do like, every this. six months, they would... Uh, be able, uh, Oracle would finally patch some of them and they'd be able to release the details of them. And we followed it quite closely. And it's like, you know, those guys weren't getting money from anybody at that point for that actual work. They were just doing it so that they could hire clients, right? So I used to be, cl- like just the, be clear. The people that made the, the heartbleed.com, you know, that's the whole reason why vulnerabilities have names and stuff now. Because we, was, oh, we were the company that found Heartbleed. You should yeah. hire us to do well, your security and, audit. And just to be clear, does... Do you know, does Oracle not have a bug bounty program at all? They definitely do not. Uh, actually, ah. they, in, in the article, they ran to, it's like, everybody says we should have a bug bounty program. It's like, you don't have to have a bug bounty program, but you have to at least accept bug reports. And, and, right? and when possible, credit. I mean, see, she's, yeah, exactly. her, the, 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 this, uh, the uh, chief security officer's argument is I'm not going to credit somebody because they reverse engineered our license. Uh, that's, they, you know. I'm not going to reward you for reverse engineering our license, but it, yeah, that's a, I think that's, a, that's an outdated way of looking at the problem. Sure. Well, and, uh, you know, what we actually, uh, in the interview coming up on next week's BSD Now, we talked to Brian Cantrell, and he brings up the great point to pretty much any engineer. Reverse engineering is, is like an inalienable right. It's like if I have something in my hand or whatever, software <laughs> or a piece of hardware or whatever, yep, yep. You can't make it illegal for me to think about how it works and figure out how it works. You know, you have patents to prevent me from building a similar product and based on that it. reverse engineering and selling it. Yeah. We have copyrights to stop me from reverse engineering your code and selling it. But it seems like we in your house or maybe, maybe even your own yeah. business, you should be allowed exactly. to... I, th- you can't take away my right yes. to think about how your product works right. and figure out how it works. That happens in my head. You can't, you can't thought police me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, when a researcher is helping you better your software for free, the least you can do is give them credit. You don't even have to give them a T-shirt. All you have to do is include their name. Mm-hmm. It's not that difficult. It's not onerous. Uh, yeah, you know, if that? Oracle doesn't want to have a bug bounty program, that's their decision. I guess so. But they can't expect the entire security, uh, security community to just pretend Oracle and its products don't exist and not attack them. Right. And, you know, if they thought that they were being bothered by the security community before. <laughs> I know, right? Reverse engineer all of the things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just asking for it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was their secret goal. It's like, how do we get a bunch of our bugs fixed for free? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. No. Oracle has proven time and again that they prefer to be malicious. Yeah, they, they, they don't seem to be, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so here's a great poll quote from the article. Uh, I almost hate to answer this question because I want to reiterate that customers should not and must not reverse engineer our code. However, if there is an actual security vulnerability, we will fix it. We may not like how it was found, but we aren't going to ignore a real problem. That would be a disservice to our customers. 
We will, however, fix it to protect all of our customers, meaning everybody will get the fix at the same time. Right, so they're not going to give you a hot fix for it while they work on an actual fix for everybody else. Mm-hmm. Not that owner, you know. You, most people wouldn't expect that. I don't think. So at least they're going to fix it eventually, as we saw. It's like you know, once a quarter they'll push an update. They're yeah, but they gonna, will not credit, as they say, they will not credit for it. Yeah. However, we will not give a customer reporting such an issue uh, that they have found through reverse engineering a special one-off patch for the problem, and we will also not provide credit in any advisory we might issue. Uh, we can't really expect us to say, thank you for breaking the license agreement. It's like more like, thank you for finding this critical flaw in our program and preventing us from being further embarrassed mm-hmm. the next time there's a... But credit? Nope. No credit for anybody. You know, uh, there's just... It's so obvious what you would do instead. Since you're not going to be able to build up a brand and a reputation by finding and selling these or I'm, I'm reporting these to Oracle, you're going to go sell them, right? You're going to go mm-hmm. sell them or you're going to go post them. You, may, you, might do, you might dump them, but more likely, you're going to go sell them because Oracle has a whole bunch of people that use their products and there's a lot of money out there to get uh, some good exploits. So they're just asking for it. It kind of boggles well, my mind. And, then, and they're also asking people to actually read the EULA. Uh, And if you've read any EULA for any software ever, it specifically says this software is not warranted for any use whatsoever. So basically they're saying, no, you you don't use our software for anything ever. (laughs) Uh, You know, using our software in production, that's crazy. Nobody should ever do that. Our software is not guaranteed to do anything properly. And that's what every EULA says, right? Because that's how companies avoid getting sued. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. Putting anti-reverse engineering clauses in EULA seems like that should be unenforceable. Specifically, you know, you can't stop someone from thinking about your product. It feels, it feels as enforceable as the uh, disclaimers at the bottom of email signatures. You know, yep. like, it's just there. Yeah. But really, you know, you, you can't think about my program. Don't do that. You're thinking about it right now. Stop it. You, f- you lose the game. <laughs> You lose the game. <laughs> I like that. Didn't they? Didn't they equate? Didn't they equate bug bounties to the new boy band? And I thought that was particularly like uh, you know they're hip. Is, it right? <laughs> Is that something like that? Uh, that, that, that was uh, threat post. Not, oh, okay. Uh, something like okay, okay, yeah. yeah but I because like that's 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 real. That's really asking for it. If you're really if you're calling them the new boy the uh, bug bounties the new boy band, then you're really kind of kind of asking for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess I mean it is very it is very hip right now. Uh, so the last one they say, uh, oh no, sorry, the boy band thing I issue that was, um, maybe that was Oracle, sorry. Okay. Anyway, this is a, uh, anyway uh, Oracle says that they find 87% of security vulnerabilities themselves, uh-huh. whereas security research only find 3%, and the other 10% are found by their customers. So ten percent. They're saying ten percent of people are violating the EULA. Is that what they're saying? But they're saying well, they're saying ten percent are found by their customers violating the EULA, and three percent are found by researchers violating the EULA. Yeah. So like, well, the customers of- are probably not like fuzz testing the software. They're just trying to use it and finding security vulnerabilities. Yeah. And so that's probably not involving much reverse engineering. And, uh, of course, uh, Oracle's kind of walked back some of this in a sense because they well, yes, pulled uh, the post down. Yes. Uh, Oracle Legal immediately pulled the post down uh, and uh, issued a statement that said that uh, the company removed the post because it doesn't fit with its, uh, the company's relationships with their customers. The security of our products and services have always been critically important to Oracle. 
Oracle has a robust program of product security assurances and works with third-party researchers and customers to jointly ensure the applications built with Oracle technology are secure. Hmm. We remove the post as it does not reflect our beliefs or our relationship with our customers. Well, there you go. I guess that's them at least trying to walk it back a little bit. But it seems like uh, this came from a pretty high up person who's been, what'd you say, 20 years, 29 years? What'd you say? 25 years. 25. As a chief security officer. It's the chief security officer whose job it is to interface with the security community and to fix bugs. And they're like, no, don't do that. I, I mean, I, I'm nobody to judge, but I'm just going to say if she's been in charge of security for the last 25 years. I don't know. She's worked there for 25 years. She hasn't been in security that long. Okay. Okay. Maybe she's recently gotten the gig because I'm hoping it hasn't been her that's been running that operation. For a few years. I think it's been been a couple of years. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, this explains actually a lot. This gives us a lot of insight into the state of Oracle. And And I'm sure you've, uh, if if you follow Twitter, you've probably seen the Oracle fanfic uh, Twitter hashtag where people have uh, taken random uh, Star Wars memes and and replaced, you know, the Force or whatever, or (laughs) things like that with uh, technology terms and stuff. Nice. There's quite a few. Is that uh, is that is that, is that course, this one? The, uh, this is a oh, different one. related one where Oracle has told people to stop using Veracode to test the application security of Oracle products because uh, you know they Oracle covered. already have application security covered. They got this. and he found uh, remote uh, uh, cross-site scripting injection on the form where you post a comment on the blog. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Oracle's got it. Don't worry about it. Oracle's got that. Alan. They got yeah. that. <laughs> Uh, see, it's already starting to happen. Um, yeah, I saw I saw a post where uh, somebody on Twitter said, uh, "Boy, Oracle, you should have made this uh, statement before Black Hat. And then you really would have made a stink." And then somebody said, "No, no, I'm glad they did it after Black Hat. Now we have a lot of free time." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or here's a couple. Here. Hey, Brain, <laughs> want to reverse an Oracle product? And he's like, no, Pinky, the EULA says we really can't. Yeah, right. That'll, fit, that'll, that'll stop it right there. I don't always break a EULA, but when I do, I prefer breaking oracles. <laughs> I don't know, oh. There's a great Darth Vader one here somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. That is something. Boy, look at, look at the internet going all crazy all over Oracle over this. Yep. <sighs> well, especially when they delete the post. No, you, you know, really can't. Just the title, Alan. Just yeah. the title well, alone. Also deleting the post no you really can't yeah no you really can't delete it it's never going away or there's a one here from uh independence day it's like damn it the eula prevents reverse engineering (laughs) when he's hacking into the spaceship right the world's screwed can't save the world yes Uh or uh mario getting to the end of uh world 1-4 and it's like thank you mario but our eula prevents reverse engineering uh, all right, Mr. Jude. Any other thoughts on uh, this here, uh, this here Oracle story? You think we'll see, hear anything more on this, or you think it's just going to fade sure, away? I'm sure. No, I'm, I'm sure there'll be more. I'm sure there will be a bunch of security vulnerabilities announced very shortly. That'd be really funny if we can track it back to this. We'll be watching. Oh yes, I'm sure a bunch of people are, are like, I was going to work on something else, but now Oracle begged me to work on their. Just stuff. moved up the list a little bit. Yeah, just moved up the priority list a little bit. Well, I'll tell you about something else that should move up your priority list. Switch into Ting because you're going to save a ton of money, and it is really going to make a lot of sense. That's what's great about Ting is once you wrap your head around it you'll kind of it'll click and then all the other ways mobile is done just completely seem bonkers ting is mobile that makes sense because it only pay for what you use with no contract 
and no early termination fee. And it's just $6 for the line. And it's just your usage on top of that. That's really simple and really, really straightforward. So with no contracts, you don't have to worry about any getting stuck anywhere. You don't want to be stuck. And the nice thing about Ting, too, this is sort of a pretty big advantage, is they have a CDMA and GSM network. So you can pick which one's either stronger in your, net, in your area or which one's going to give you a better speed or a better call signal. Uh, but you can also, like with the Nexus 5, you can jump between the networks by, by uh, sw- swapping the swim- SIM and reactivating. And the thing is, is Ting makes that crazy straightforward to do with their really nice dashboard. It lets you manage all of this stuff. You can activate devices, transfer devices, deactivate devices, remove them from your account, all kinds of things. Plus, this control panel gives you all of the kind of options you would need to, like, set limits and alerts and thresholds or even turn off certain features of your cell phone service. You can do all of that in the dashboard, which is great if you have kids. And you want to give them a cell phone for, like, emergency usage or for light usage. Um, Or, like, when we had a nanny, we gave her a phone on the Ting service so that way we could get a hold of her. We knew she had a good phone and had good signal. There's no add-on charges for, like, voicemail or caller ID or tethering your hotspots. all just part of the plan. If you want to call and get some some support, they have no-hold customer service when you call them at 1-855-TING-FTW. Anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. on the East Coast. And go check out Ting's devices. Go to techsnap.ting.com. you got to go to techsnap.ting.com. That way you get a $25 discount off your first device if you have a Ting-compatible device. And remember, they have a GSM and CDMA network, so you might. And you're going to get $25 of service credit. And if you have an ETF relief program, too, that's really, geez, you're probably going to have more than your first month paid for. I want to draw your attention to the Motorola Moto E, the second gen, just recently added to the Ting store. The Moto E is really maybe the perfect Ting phone. It's smart, it's friendly, and it's really affordable. At $122, when you go to techsnap.ting.com, that's unlocked. That's no contract. You can get a lollipop-powered Android phone, a really well-built Motorola E. These are really sturdy phones for $122 with no early termination fee, no contract, and you only pay for what you use, techsnap.ting.com, and you support the TechSnap program by visiting that now, check this thing out, too. It's got a 1.2 gigahertz quad-core Qualcomm Snapdragon processor, 4.5-inch IPS display, not bad at all, Lollipop continuing to get updates. It's got a 5-megapixel rear camera, a 2,400-milliamp battery, which for the Moto E is going to really rock. It does CDMA and GSM, and it comes with a Ting GSM SIM for $122, unlocked, techsnap.ting.com. You can also just grab a SIM card if you already have a GSM or CDMA phone you want to try on Ting. They have all the great devices from real nice value phones, like around $70, all the way up to, uh, like, you know, the latest S6 and stuff. Mm -hmm. You can go to techsnap.ting.com and check that savings calculator out. Put your actual monthly usage in here, what you're using, hit their calculate button, and see how much you would save by switching to Ting. You'd be probably pretty surprised. I... I was. TechSnap.ting.com. It's mobile that makes sense. It's really straightforward, easy for you to manage, great customer service when you need it, no contracts, unlocked phones. It's so great, and it's perfect for our audience. And the fact that it includes hotspot and tethering with every device is really a nice bonus. TechSnap.ting.com. Go see how much you can save by switching to Ting. And a big, big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the TechSnap program. TechSnap.ting.com. Okay, Alan, I love the title of our next story because i got to wonder this, too. Uh, why not insider trade on every company? Why, why, why yeah. Alan? Why not? <laughs> well, normally, you don't have insider information about every company, right? But some so do. you have to you, – basically, it's easier to get caught on insider trading because you have to have information about a specific company. Sure. So it's usually one you work for, one that you 
have access to or, or you know what if you're, you're a, a stock what if you're a, dealing with the what brother. if you were a massive surveillance agency monitoring everybody's email and text communications maybe then you might be able to do some there serious insider trading or what yeah. if you're a congress or, member getting tips from uh from uh oh wait they can do insider trading never mind yeah well yeah so when we talk uh over at uh bloombergview.com yeah uh they have this article and they talk about you know how most times you know it involves golf or or some other thing where you're just kind of oh we went golfing and maybe i said something about what we're doing next week maybe i didn't i don't know i was just golfing we were just we were (laughs) just talking while we were golfing i mean i was just you know talking about work maybe he picked something up i'm not sure yeah and and you know the other ones where you know you just find some random stooge guy and, and give him some information and he makes his trades on it and makes the money and then he gives you a bag full of cash one day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but yeah this one uh starts off by describing the typical way insider trading works and how people get away with it uh but then it starts to dig into this new method okay uh specifically uh, a group of ukrainian malactors that did a, a huge amount of insider trading malactors uh, yeah, that's like, it's, it's the term we've been using for months. Mal, as in, they, as in they... It's like malware. It's the perpetrators of malware. I guess I, I guess I haven't realized that we've been using it for months, because I've also we've realized that we've been saying malvertising for a while, and I haven't picked up on malvertising Not either. really, but that is, that is one I've heard. Yeah, okay. Mal actors, it, all right. Well, yeah, I have hackers, heard it. Hackers has good connotations, and these one, and this one, these people don't. So that's why we so made think, up a new word. You think mal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get it. I does. I, I, it's not totally new to me, but it's just. I guess it's sticking. I guess it it's sticking. does sound weird, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Um, I guess because to me, hacker I, has the good connotations. But, well, I guess you know, I'm not it's clear. Is it, kind of dual is it does it just mean it. does it just mean a malicious act or malicious actor, yes. or does it just mean or does it mean or does malactor it's mean not, somebody did something using malware? It, it's not malware specifically, okay, okay. But because you know the whole the term malware came from not everything is spyware, right? Spyware originally was just actually more kind of adware, right? Yeah. Uh, and malware just means any program that does something you don't want it to do. So a malactor is basically anybody doing something that you'd rather they didn't. Yeah. Okay. I suppose is the technical definition, but yeah, it basically a more blanket term because you know, in this case, there was breaking into a computer system, so you could call that hacking. But sometimes it's not actually doing that, like in one of the cases we'll talk about in the next episode. But anyway, so these uh, this group of Ukrainians. Uh, basically managed to make over $100 million off insider trading, uh, mostly by doing it against a lot of companies. Mm. So what they did was break into the systems of MarketWired, PR Newswire, and BusinessWire, where companies uh, send press releases and they say, oh, here's the press release. This goes out you know, three days from now at 10 a.m. Right? and announces something that's going to affect the stock market. Right, that this company announcing that things are going very good for us, or things are going very bad for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you know about this four, three or four days ahead of time, you can do quite a bit because uh, you you know the, which direction the stock's going to go, uh, and so you can make a bunch of money. Now, rather than actually just betting on the stocks themselves, which would be pretty obvious, the SEC can can catch on to that because yeah. be like, how are these guys always two days ahead of the stock market? This is fishy. Um, what they would do uh, is sell the information to various different people. So, you know, each different case of insider trading was done by a different random person. 
Uh, and then they would either take a flat fee. So there's just, all right, we have this insider information. It's going to affect this company. Pay us some money and we'll give it to you. Or be like, here's the insider information. Make some money off of it, but we get 20%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know. It takes a lot more, but you, you Obviously, when you sell one of these to a customer, that customer wants to come back and do it again. And eventually, that's how they got caught is because, you know, there was this group of people that were doing it over and over again. Yeah. So eventually, uh, they got them because of the repeats. Yeah. Uh, but they, the group in the Ukraine basically created an entire company and industry around it, right? They had support infrastructure and they uh, taking requests for information from specific companies. Uh, you know, they ran it like a business. They had customer support. They created, uh, they set up servers where customers could access the information. They created a video tutorial on how to access and use the servers to get the stolen information because you're dealing with like stockbrokers who maybe don't know that mm-hmm. much about computers, mm-hmm. right? Um, probably. I mean, not to, not to judge and yes, stereotype, right. but probably. Uh, the defendants allegedly stole over 150,000 confidential press releases from the servers of the various newswire companies. They say, the size and professionalism of the business, though, shouldn't be confused with the sophistication. There are some signs that these guys actually weren't all that sophisticated, right? It's basically just organized crime. Maybe they had a couple of computer guys to help them actually pull it off, right, to break into the newswire company or whatever. But the general thing was actually just typical organized crime crime stuff. You know, for one thing, the traders seem to have gotten caught the usual way. The investigation began when prosecutors in Brooklyn and the FBI received a referral from the SEC about a pattern of suspicious trades by some of the defendants. Uh, the other place where the hackers might not have been sophisticated was actually breaking into the newswire places. Uh, the hackers apparently gained unauthorized access to press releases on the networks of MarketWired using SQL injection attacks, which usually are not that sophisticated, right? Mm, no. It's just... Poorly written code on yeah. the site. Yeah, pretty uh, common. Been around for a long gain, time. Yeah. For to gain access to business wire, uh, they did it after the login credentials of fifteen business wire employees were brute forced. So they didn't have, you know, something like fail demand stopping people from brute forcing. Right. And probably also had pretty weak passwords. Yeah. Uh, and they got the logins of fifteen different people. Well, it makes it pretty easy to go in there and get the uh, wire docs when you have fifteen of the employees' logins. Yeah. No, no, not limiting the the uh, the, the login attempts is yep. is such a basic thing to overlook. I remember when Twitter did it, and somebody took over the admin side of Twitter. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Apple did it for one of their iCloud things, right? Yep. I remember uh, the password reset system yeah. for iPhones, and that's that's they're pretty sure that's how the fappening happened. Right, right. That's right. And that's so what on. it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the author of the article makes an interesting point. He says, "But I feel like part of this has to be." The people in charge of those databases, which, like most of us until maybe today when we're hearing about this story, uh, had a disenchanted view of the financial world. Mm. Uh, These systems didn't hold nuclear launch codes. They held press releases, documents that, by definition, would be released publicly within a couple of days. So how secure would they normally need to be, right? And speed, convenience, and reliability were were important, but top-notch security... Probably not, right? We're just the news. Uh, how important could it be to keep these press releases secret until the embargo date? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what were the odds that a crack team of criminals would be downloading tens of thousands of press releases before they came out in order to sell them to further teams of criminals who would then use them to trade on the stock market? 
It just sounds kind of crazy and paranoid. Yeah, yeah. But it, allegedly, it's actually what happened. Well, it does kind of make sense. Mm-hmm. Especially if you didn't rate limit the passwords and you had a SQL injection that was low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Well, that's all you really need. Anybody could figure it out from anywhere in the world at that point. Exactly. You know, just most people wouldn't have built a whole business out of it like the Ukrainians did. Hey, man, money's good. Why not do it, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, $100 million. Am I going to argue? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. All right, Mr. Jr., uh, thoughts on that? I have uh, extra links from uh, Bloomberg.com and ThreatPost about this. Plus, uh, yeah, the Justice do. Department in uh, Brooklyn and New Jersey have criminal complaints against the bad guys. And uh, there's also the SEC has a civil complaint against them. So all the uh, court filings and so on and uh, press releases from the SEC and the Justice Department and so on are all in the show notes. Yeah, they are. Boy, talk about some great source material. Uh, boy, wow. Yeah. Okay. That was, uh, you know, it's funny how uh, something, you could see how that story could have been spun as a super advanced cyber scheme. You know, you, that, yeah. depending on how the media wanted to spin that one, they could have exactly. made that a super sophisticated attack. But when you break it down, it's like, no, it's organized crime with a couple of computer guys who know about SQL injections. Who weren't injections. necessarily even that, con- like, this is a thing that teenage high schoolers can do. Yeah. Right? Brute forcing a password and, and doing an SQL injection is like... If you read the actual article for Blue, it's like, I'm just a news reporter about the stock market, but I Googled SQL injection and learned <laughs> that SQL means structured query language. But there's this nice tutorial that walked me through how to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's not that hard. Exactly. All right, Mr. Drew. Well, then let me tell you about something else that's not that hard. Setting up a DigitalOcean account, it's nuts. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans start only $5 a month. But guess what? I can hook you up with a deal if you use the promo code SNAPOcean. One word, lowercase. It'll give you a $10 credit. Now, DigitalOcean is the best place to go to spin up a rig up in the cloud on some great servers with great performance and unbelievable value. And it's crazy easy to do so. In, for You know what? I bet you could probably do it in about 40 seconds. I'm not going to I'm not going to expect you cuz I don't want to pressure you, but once somebody once at uh, one time somebody tweeted me 36 seconds spin up time. I think I even got 32 one time. But uh, on average 55 seconds and for $5 a month, you can get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD cuz they're all SSDs, one CPU and a terabyte of transfer. And their pricing structure is really straightforward. If you feel like at some point you're going to need to upgrade from there, it's no big deal. It's really easy to expand the disk in your droplet. Their pricing structure works really straightforwardly. So it starts at $5 a month, and then it's $10 a month, and then everything goes up. You get a gigabyte of uh, RAM. You get 30 gigabytes SSD. You get 2 terabytes of transfer. And what's even more nuts about that is they even offer hourly pricing. So for, they started like under a penny, and it just works its way up. So if you want to scale on demand, you want to do some app testing for a little bit with a nice public IP that you can give to people and have some great performance with gigabit uplinks, that's awesome. That's a great way to go. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, and Germany. So regardless of what the application load is, you're going to get a great regional uh, – actually, what I do is I have what I call reversional diversity. And now it's me just being funny, I know. But I have a server here on the West Coast, and I have a server on the East Coast, and that I set up it sync on them. Now, the reason I did that was to make it really simple, is I have people all over the world syncing off of this BitTorrent sync, and I can seed from, from the West Coast, I can seed from the East Coast, and when, when we move this system, which we're going to be doing at some point, and I might, if I have to reset it up ever at one point, I need to reseed all the files, I'd also spin one up in their uh, London data center. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, just to help it out. I mean, it's and I could just do that for a little while and then spin it down. I've got OwnCloud and BitTorrent Sync and Minecraft, and I've got a Ghost installation. We've got a WordPress installation up there. We've got a box that just runs Ruby scripts all the time. It's it's ridiculous, uh, and it's so straightforward. When we have essentially any need for Linux infrastructure, we go to DigitalOcean, and their support for Docker and Debian and Ubuntu and FreeBSD and Core OS means that we're going to be able to get an operating system that works with our workflow no problem at all. And they have so many great applications you can deploy with one simple click and use our promo code SNAPOcean, you can try it out two months for free. Also, mm-hmm. check out their tutorial section, how to install Nginx, MySQL, PHP on Debian 7. That's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. WordPress on Debian 7. Uh, how to set up Nginx with load balancing and SSL termination. That would answer a few questions that have come into our show a few times. Yeah. Digital Plus they Ocean. have FreeBSD versions of all those, too. Yeah, they have really good stuff. Like they, Once they start to support something, they really back it. And that's why they're, you know, they'll pay for these things. They'll, they, have, uh, they have some professional editors. They also have a whole bunch of really great apps written around their straightforward API. And the very, very intuitive control panel. And with that API and that control panel, it's really, there's nothing you can't do. It's so quick and easy to use, but yet extremely powerful. It's really cool. Just go work on a project. Spin something up on DigitalOcean and try it out for a little while and see why we've been talking about it. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code SNAPOcean. SNAPOcean gets you a $10 credit, and it keeps us going. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the TechSnap program. I have, uh, I also have, I should mention, a Jitsi uh, it's not you don't need it for all of Jitsi, but like when you're doing uh, like Jitsi uh, calls, there's server there's services you can run that make it much easier when people are behind firewalls and whatnot. So yep, you just throw that up. Server. Yeah, yeah, yep. You just throw that up on a DigitalOcean droplet, and if you want to just try it out, like I said, use the promo code SnapOcean. You just try it out for a couple months for free. It's pretty cool. Now, Alan, seems like only fitting if we started the news talking about Oracle that we should conclude the news talking about Adobe. Sort of a nice disaster sandwich, right? Well, no, uh, this is Adobe being good know, and fixing I know. bugs. And I know, so. I know. I just got to give them a hard time, Alan. So based on uh, all the things that they've learned and all the bugs that uh, – mostly I think this was inevitable because, uh, you know, after the hacking team thing, uh, lots of security researchers were poking at Flash again, uh, where maybe they had, you know, not been for a little while. And so Adobe has done a big patch for Flash uh, that includes fixes for 35 vulnerabilities for Flash and Air. Uh, and this is also the update that will roll over the next long-term support version of Flash. So it's kind of a, you know, a roll-up update to get every fix they have available pushed out uh, as they move all the people on the old Flash 13 to Flash 18. Hmm, okay. So the vulnerabilities that Adobe patched this Tuesday include a number of type confusion flaws, used after free vulnerabilities, buffer overflows, memory corruption, etc. Many of the vulnerabilities could be used to take complete control of a vulnerable machine. Uh, So this is uh, Flash version 18.0.0.232, or I think 231 if you have the one that's bundled into Chrome. Uh, And it fixes 16 used after free vulnerabilities, Hmm. 8 memory corruptions, five type confusions, five buffer overflow or heap overflows, and one uh, integer overflow. Fancy. Uh, the updates also include further mitigation, uh, further hardening uh, to the mitigation stuff they added uh, last week that we talked about. I uh, remember we talked uh, with working with Google Project Zero, they made it harder for a lot of yeah. these types of vulnerabilities to keep happening. Yeah. Well, they've uh, made that even stronger with oh. the, this patch as well. Uh, also, in an interesting turn of events, on Monday, researchers at Kaspersky Labs disclosed that the attackers running the Dark Hotel APT, if you remember, that's the one that hijacks the um, 
Wi-Fi access points at hotels. Yeah, yeah. And uh, makes it so that when, you know, you're a big executive or something for a company or an engineer and you have secret documents about your company's new product, uh, when you go to get on the wireless, the captive portal is like, oh, you need to install this thing from us in order to use our internet. And it's a flash exploit. Mm. Uh, and it would take over your computer and steal your secret documents and send them off to these guys. Uh, this is the Dark Hotel seems to have burned through a pile of flash zero days and half day exploits over the past few years, and it uh, may have stockpiled more to perform precise attacks on high level individuals globally, right? Hmm. So even if they have some really good zero days, they're very, you know, pessimistic about when they use them. Only use them in very important circumstances. Right. We've heard about that before. They don't want if if nobody finds out about the zero right. day, the longer it lasts. You got to conserve the goods almost because it's like your secret weapon, and you don't want to use yeah. it. And remember, also in the Snowden leaks, we read that the NSA does the same thing. They assess their targets' capabilities and will use less sophisticated malware to prevent the more sophisticated stuff from being discovered. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so the Dark Hotel people were found using the flash bugs developed by hacking team. So, it's all uh, connected. I, I, it all yeah. comes back together. Yep. Uh, and the other thing I noted is that uh, beginning August 11th, uh, which was two days ago, uh, Adobe will update the version of extended support release Flash Player from version 13 to version 18 on Mac and Windows. Uh, to stay current with all available security updates, uh, users must install version 18 of Flash Player extended support release or update to the most recent available version. Uh, and then if you look at the official Adobe advisory and then scroll down to the nice section there, uh, list called uh, vulnerability, or no, sorry, acknowledgements, then it lists all the different researchers that helped them fix the problems. Hmm. What an idea. Yeah. Now, hold so, on. Is this acknowledgements, Alan? <laughs> yes. Acknowledgements. Adobe would like to thank the following individuals and organizations for reporting the relevant issues and for working with Adobe to help protect our customers. What a concept. You know, it's like Chris Evans, Ben Hawks, and Polish guy <laughs> of Google Project Zero, and then lists a bunch of CVEs and that they were responsible for finding and helping them fix. And, you know, uh, what else they got in there? Wow, um, you know, their, their deal with Google and Chrome really pays dividends, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, FortiGuard Labs, Alibaba Security Research Team, the Chrome Vulnerability Rewards Team. So that means this is one where uh, Google actually paid out the bug bounty for a flash bug yeah. Yeah. because it affected Chrome. Yeah. Uh, and the 360 Vulcan Team. The what? It's Asian. Okay. The 360 Vulcan Team. No, said. Or sorry, it's uh, Kaihu 360 Vulcan Team. All right. All right. I'll take it, Alan. I'll take it. Yep. Huh. So, uh, do you think... Uh, and you can see here, actually, uh, even if you're a researcher and you don't want to use your name, they will take just like a Twitter handle or, or nickname used on IRC or whatever, if ooh, you just I want like to that. go by that. I like that. Good for them. In- Instruder of the Alibaba security research team. Twitter is nice. That's nice. Yeah. Right. But yes, you know, they understand that maybe because of your day job or something, you don't want everybody to know what your name is, but you still want credit so that you can point to it later. Hex to yes. Cool. Hmm. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still very skeptical on installing Flash. I, I'm basically anything that doesn't need Flash doesn't have Flash at all. Mandatory. And so right now I have about two or three computers out of four or five that I use almost well six that I use all the time, and only like two of them have Flash right now. 
All of mine have flash, although most of it's click to enable. Just ah, yes, and sometimes mostly I, to prevent auto playing videos on news sites because yeah. it drives me nuts. I, I do cheat a little bit sometimes. I'll, I'll load Chrome, right? Yeah, uh, and then I'll get that. Uh, what, my laptop has Chrome on it because somebody else was using it. Somebody else wanted it, not me. I'm not me. No, it wasn't me. Uh, all right, we all used right. it recently because we were testing the MPEG dash stuff, which doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. Oh, boy. We get a lot of feedback when we talk it, about it live streaming. It doesn't work worse in Firefox, but it doesn't work in Chrome either. <laughs> um, I don't want to step into that. We get yeah. a lot of feedback about that. I know. And uh, none of it's helpful. <laughs> I know. I know. People really think they got it all figured out. <laughs> I don't mean it's to be. Like, uh, I, I do well, not. Just because you read that press release. Yeah. So, and like, we don't. So, so there's like a dash reference implementation player on GitHub just only works for the sample videos if you give it a real live stream it just plays 30 seconds of it and then loops it forever yeah and we're not trying to sound um like um i don't know what the word would be we're condescending just disenfranchised or about yes, it because yes, yeah we would really like to yes, use it yes we and see we do work. this stuff all the time and so we're always, we're always trying this stuff and it's just it's kind of a bummer because then people are like you should Ask try this my student andrew who spent like a week trying to get one of these things to work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, we're pretty sure the servers are putting great stream. It's just none of the players can play it with it. It's like, call me when VLC can play a uh, MPEG dash stream live. Yeah. Because that doesn't work yet. Or, or it's an, off by default in Firefox because it doesn't work yet. Or an, or an iPhone. Yep. That's kind of an important market, too. So are Androids. Yeah. Although HLS is available. But yeah. I don't understand most of the differences between HLS and MPEG dash. But it, it, basically, MPEG dash can support more protocols or mm. video codecs. But most of the other video codecs don't work so good. Yeah, well, I understand we need it because we want to go to you know something. Well, 4K video. We, hopefully, we will end up on Thor and not H two six five. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of this Thor? Oh yes, oh yes. Cisco. Yes. We'll see. I'm skeptical, but we'll see. Cisco's been yep. Cisco's actually they have an interesting stake in video because with so much of their equipment uses it, so they like have a lot conference. of skin in the game. Well, yeah. because they're the ones that gave Firefox the H two six four and yep. Firefox doesn't use properly. Well, there's that. Uh, you know what? All right. HLS support in my desktop browser. It wouldn't be that freaking hard. No, no, no. Uh, all right, Alan. Well, let's tell you about something else that isn't that hard. Hmm? How about this? Getting a rig from iX Systems. Yes. Go to ixsystems.com slash techsnaps. That's where they have the ultimate guide to buying a server for open source. And they're very proud of this white paper. And I, re- I recommend you do grab it. They're not going to spam you. It's really worth it. Get the free report. Go to ixsystems.com slash techsnap. And that also lets them know that uh, you heard about it here on the show. Check out iX Systems. It is really such a great company for enterprise-grade storage. And enterprise-grade storage could be applicable even for your small business, like here at Jupiter Broadcasting. We still run iX Storage uh, because I want, I want enterprise-grade reliability, and they have pricing and, and units that are appropriate for small business. Obviously, they also have pricing and units that go all the way up, 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 and up. In fact, we have some hardware porn that I, I stashed in the feedback segment. Mm-hmm. Um, we could, we, yes. could, we, could pull it, we could pull it up right now if you want. Might as well. Yeah, because this is an IX Systems uh, rig, right? Uh, yes. Where did uh, I... Well, three of them, actually. But, uh, it's the last... Did you rename it Server MV on me? Yes. Uh, okay, I, I got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you didn't like the original title? Bam, chicka, wow, wow. All right, so this is a uh, slideshow that uh, Alan, I believe, had somebody put together for him. <laughs> yes, I had that. I was like, hey, IX people, while you're building my yeah, three okay, servers for good. me, could you take a couple of pictures? Wow, and boy, So they took did 50 they. pictures. They took some great pictures. So yeah. uh, look at that. Look at the drive That's sleds. The front, yep. Uh, this is, this is, uh, so I got two different designs done. 
One is this, which is uh, 24 drives, and th- those will take SATA drives. So uh, when we get to the motherboard later, you'll see how it's specially set up so that it doesn't have to use a SAS expander or a SATA expander. Nice. So all my drives are discrete wired to the controllers. And so, yeah, this is a 4U case, and you can see the clips on the side for the fast-attached rails, and then here's them putting the motherboard in. Ah, there's the motherboard. Oh, my gosh, look at all those RAM slots. Yeah, this machine uh, can take two E5 processors. I get uh, E5 2630V3s, which are Haswell. with. uh, They can support up to 1.5 terabytes of uh, DDR4 ECC. (laughs) You see the little plastic thing is the shroud. I'll show you where that goes later. Also, you, you probably don't notice them, but right over at the side by the power supplies, you can see the two SSDs in the hot swap base at the back. Yes, I do. Yeah, the two Intels yep. there. And then you can see the SATA cable come out of those, go around the edge, and go to the motherboard. Yeah. Those SATA cables are cut exactly to the right length in order to avoid extra blockage of those fans. Nice. Very yeah, nice. That's, that's very a level clean. of detail you don't see everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can see even during the build, it's very clean. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, and then you can see there's the one of the disc controllers is in. Yeah, yeah. Actually, there's there's Two three in there. You can't you can't see uh, the third one because the edge, but you can see where it's screwed in. Yes, I think the next picture shows all three of them. Yes, there they are. Uh, yes, and the RAM's and, in now too, and so are yep. two of the, the two CPUs. Yep, and so each of those cards can handle eight hard drives uh, without three using any expansion. Yeah, yeah, so that handles all twenty four in this design. In the next design. I uh, use just two of the cards, and each one of the cards is connected to all 36 drives through a SAS expander. <sighs> Jeez, look, look at how tight that wiring is. From all those drives, it just comes to those few wires right there. Yep. That is so nice. Look at that. And you can see there's the airflow across the processors. Yep. Like, I love That's it. Oh, and and there's, the, uh, there's the air guide. The, yeah. Uh, uh, so that kind of takes the air from the fans that are taller than the CPUs and mm-hmm. pushes it down, forcing it all to go across the CPUs. And the RAM, And too. then they even have the fans at the back to boost that air and make sure it gets pushed out nice and far so it doesn't just laze about at the back of the machine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, look, there it is from the back. And there's the two uh, removable yep. power supplies. Gorgeous, yep. gorgeous. And the two uh, hot-swappable SSDs for the operating system. Um, wow. Wow, wow, wow. This is a beautiful machine. And then here's machine. the build of the uh, one that holds machine, 36 yeah. drives. Yeah. So it looks like it's just two U's, but what actually is happening is you got basically a two U chassis, and then underneath there's, uh, so you get the same 24 drives at the front, but you get another 12 drives under the back of the server. Uh, so it's the same for you, but it actually looks like a two U, and then a second two U of just hard drives at the back. Wow. This is another gorgeous build, too. Yeah, another. and uh, this one is, uh, you see there's only two controller cards, but they're yeah. wired to each. Each controller connects to all 36 hard drives um, so that even if one of those controllers dies, uh, one of the cables goes bad or something, uh, the other one can still control all 36 hard drives. <laughs> Talk about some reliability there. That's great. Yes. And the great, uh, and the great thing is about IX is they're going to burn and test all of this before they ship it to your data center. So all Already this stuff's done. Uh, the, uh, there it is closed up. With the test paperwork, yep, the, yep, you can see the test paperwork and yeah, the, uh, they got it all hooked up and are running it. That's great. Yep. There you go. Wow. <clears throat> so uh, you can go and, from uh, a free NAS mini up to a rig like that thing, IX systems. Yep. Or they have bigger ones. Uh, you can get ones where you get basically head is a little one U machine, and maybe you have two of those for redundancy, and then you just have shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of hard drives. So you just build a single one machine that takes up a whole rack of just hard drives everywhere. <laughs> now, uh, for you audio listeners, if we uh, teased you, we tried to describe it for you, but if we teased you too much, uh, you can go in the feedback section and you'll find uh, server MV 
feedback from Alan in there, and you'll find a link to the slideshow if you want to look at all those. It's really good hardware. It's good-looking stuff. iX Systems has all kinds of rigs like that. So go check them out. Go over to iXSystems.com slash TechSnap and go – really, it's – such a great consultation process. They really can walk you through it. They do a really great job. Uh, we recommend them here at the TechSnap program. I tell you, if I was still, if I was still doing co- contracting right now, this would be the company I worked with. Yep. Um, so, and now, of course, now that I'm here, when I do buy storage, and boy, do we often need storage. I'll probably, yep. I'll probably talk to them about like, leasing something at some point because we're just like throwing disks yep. constantly in. Yep. Uh, hey, Alan, speaking of something we're constantly throwing disks at, that BSD Now show has a new episode. Episode yes. 102 may contain ZFS. <laughs> yes, uh, this is an interview with Peter Toth about IOCage, a new uh, ZFS-based jail management tool for containers. It's uh, really nice stuff. Hmm. Pretty cool. Episode 102 of the BSDNet program, good midway point here in the TechSnap show. So if you want to go get more Junior Face, go get the HD version. Probably be done by the time the TechSnap program downloads or, or finishes. By the time you finish up a TechSnap, that'll probably be done by then, I would imagine. And then you could just... Start watching it. Just like put it in your playlist, and then when you just blink and reopen your eyes, it's, Alan will still be there. It's and I'll just be replaced with another Chris. We just swap out the Chris's. Yep. It's real straightforward. It's not swappable Chris. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the news for this week, Alan. So that means it's time for the tech snap feedback. Thanks for sending your emails to techsnap at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Pop in that contact link at the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting website, or even better, like no a single person did, submitting a thread to our subreddit over at techsnap.reddit.com. It's okay, baby. I still love you. Brendan writes in with our first email this week, and it's about multi-boot and running OpenSH server on all the things. He says, I have a Linux desktop with currently five installs. I mean, why not, right? Uh, they all sit side by side, and I want to run an OpenSH, OpenSSH server on all of them, but if I'm, a, if I'm on my laptop and I SSH into one on the LAN and I have SSH into the computer before, you know, probably with a different OS booted, it thinks I'm booting into a man in the middle because I have a different host key. I have a Microtech router and wonder what I can do with all the installs so I don't have to be man in the middle all the time. Uh, I mean, with additional Ethernet adapters, I could maybe do it that way and, you know, one, in one OS use one Ethernet adapter and the other OS use another Ethernet adapter. Uh, uh, but uh, he's wondering if we have any suggestions so he doesn't get these annoying yes. messages. Quite simple. Uh, in etc slash ssh, there's uh, like ssh underscore host underscore key uh, rsa dsa a bunch of them. Uh, if you just pick one of them to be the right one and copy the keys from that directory into all your different installs, yep. they will all have the same host key and it'll work. Very easy. Yeah. All you gotta do. Uh, all right, Alan. Let me double check the path on the. So it'll be etc ssh. And then, yeah, SSH underscore host underscore DSA underscore key and ECDSA underscore key and ED25519 underscore key, et cetera. Uh, but, yeah, you can just copy uh, your setup off, pick one to be the master, uh, the one you've accepted already maybe, uh, and then just splat that down on all five of your installs and restart the SSH server and they will all be happy, happy. Post Sniffer in our IRC chat room says he also recommends that he could pick up uh, SSH Mastery, which could give him some great yes. tips to manage. By my co-author, Michael W. Lucas. It's yes. one of the books he wrote by himself. It's mm-hmm. really good. All right. Jason writes in, Alan, I guess when we talked about uh, hooking up uh, like quad gigabit Ethernet or just getting as much transfer out of a free NAS box as possible, mm-hmm. we sort of struck a chord with a few folks in the audience. So uh, we got a couple bits of feedback about this. Here's our first one. Jason writes in. He says, Alan made a comment. 
In response to a question, FreeNAS with quad gigabit Ethernet, Alan mentioned that if the person was to put a few machines directly connected to a FreeNAS box and bridge them together, it would work, but it would also, uh, but it would not be able to actually perform at one gigabit. Well, I didn't say that. I just said that it might not be as fast as an actual switch. Right. Uh, and he's mentioning the kernel fast-forwarding option. Yeah, he's saying... Depending how you set it up, if you actually set up as a bridge so it acts like a switch, it's never even going to get to the forwarding part of the kernel. It just happens in the bridge driver. Yeah, so that would uh, be crazy fast, right? For fast-forwarding, yeah. Uh, when you use fast-forwarding, you actually would configure each one as a separate subnet, and, tr- and that would actually make your free as a router rather than just bridging those bunch of ports together and act, making them act like a switch. The biggest difference is broadcast traffic doesn't go through when you when you do forwarding mm. uh it doesn't forward broadcast messages whereas when you bridge them it does which can affect whether certain applications work or not and you know with link level discovery protocols or even just the microsoft um file sharing stuff uh, won't necessarily go through once it sees it's a router uh so that will uh impact that as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so ideally you want to f- uh, ignore forwarding at all if you can uh, and just bridge it, or better, have the switch. Uh, but yes, this, one gigabit is pretty easy to do. And then he points out, uh, the uh, Jason that sent in the feedback points out the BSD router project yeah. has done a bunch of performance testing at 10 gigabit. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's entirely possible uh, for you to forward 10 gigabits of traffic through a modest computer. Uh, it's just a switch specifically designed to do it will do it with less work. FreeBSD nine is where this feature, uh, the I'm sorry, not uh, not this feature, the fast forwarding feature is uh, no, enabled, right? It's fast forwarding has existed since like FreeBSD oh. four. Okay, he was just saying here. He says I know it's available. Yeah, it's in available nine. in nine, yeah. uh, which is what FreeNAS is based on. So yeah. yes, okay. Uh, now NetMap is more complicated, uh, but can give you even greater speed. But again, uh, the gig switch will be easier. And specifically, you know, if you're cabling something, the switch can kind of be centralized. Otherwise, you have to run a cable, a point-to-point cable from every machine to your FreeNAS. Uh, and because you can get like an 8-port gigabit switch for like $25 or something, it's probably not worth it. But if you so desired to connect a couple of machines that happen to be near your NAS directly to it and you had the extra network cards, you could do it. That could be sweet. And if you bridge them, it would stay in the same subnet as opposed to... Mm. Um, if, you did, if you didn't bridge them, then you would create basically separate LANs for each one. Uh, which is also a reasonable thing to do, right? That's practically called a SAN, right? It's a storage area network where you're not going to have no internet traffic or anything is going to be tying down uh, that connection. So uh, we have a setup like that here where um, the servers in my rack have, you know, one uh, network card that goes out to the internet and it's, you know, got a 100 megabits of traffic on it or whatever, but they have a separate network card that only goes to the storage network and only talks mm. to storage servers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... Again, when you have four network cards, you find interesting uses for some of them. <laughs> our buddy Smash writes our next email. It's been a little while since he's written. He says, hello, Chris and Alan and fellow JBears. Smash here. I've been using FreeNAS for many years in my lab and home environments. I've always wanted to use FreeNAS work, but we use Fiber Channel. I talked to the guys, the fine folks at IX Systems a while back, and uh, he says about Fiber Channel, and they said at the time only they, they only supported 10 gigabit Ethernet. To my delight, I came across this forum talk, post talking about FreeNAS and Fiber Channel. Just thought that some might find it interesting is 10 gigabit Ethernet equip, network equipment is not cheap, but older 2 to 4 gigabit fiber cards are not that bad. Throw multipathing in and you have some high-speed iSCSI right there. Thanks for the tech snap uptime. All the best. Smash. Yep. Uh, although 10 gigabit Ethernet is getting quite a bit cheaper, uh, that 
uh, Switch that I bought to have 10 gigabit at home has gone down a couple hundred more dollars since. Mm. So I think it's only like $1,300 now for, is it eight or I think it was 10 ports of uh, 10 gigabit copper. Uh, although currently the network cards are still four hundred ish dollars a piece, which hmm. is obviously uh, there's a reason why I don't have a, everything on my house switched over to that. Yeah, yeah. Boy, I, God, I would love to have ten gigabit here in the studio to transfer recordings around. Ooh. Yeah, well, you, you know, even if you did it just point to point between like Rikai's editing machine and your yeah. recording machine or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that would be nice. That would be really nice. All right, so that's our feedback for this week. We also have the all the pictures from Alan's slideshow linked in the feedback if you guys want to check that out. And you can yes. send us your questions in, techsnap at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or use the contact form and then just choose techsnap from the dropdown. And please do send in your questions because over the next couple of weeks we'll be doing some double recordings uh, for, for uh, travel and whatnot. And uh, we'd love to have some great questions to chew on in those episodes. So if you've got something you've been kicking around, please send it in to us. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and then just choose TechSnap from the dropdown. You can also do the subreddit, techsnap.reddit.com. And with the feedback all done, that means it's time for the TechSnap Roundup. Welcome to the Tech Snap Roundup. Yeah, that's what that crazy music means. Now, the Roundup of stories that just didn't fit at the top of the show, but we still want to give you some links to follow up on on your own after the show. And some of these links came from our incredible subreddit over at techsnap.reddit.com. And you got to kind of do it with a ninja thing. Uh, this first story is really exciting. It's an Android security announcement from the Googs about future updates for Nexus devices. Right, Alan? Well, no, this is the first official post of, of, the, the, the of the monthly security yeah. update. Yeah, yeah. So this is the Nexus security bulletin for August. Uh, it includes the over-the-air update that I've already got on my phone. I am so happy. Um, and, yeah, it lists uh, the CVEs and the fixes and the details and all the good stuff. A big advantage to the Nexus devices. Too bad a tiny fraction of Android users use them. However... However, you know, Samsung says they're going to start pushing these out, and I expect a bunch of the other providers to follow suit. So uh, hopefully uh, Android will, A, lessen fragmentation by having uh, more people running current versions, and, you know, this whole concept of a monthly security update seems uh, the most reasonable approach to phones. I can understand not wanting your phone rebooting to install updates constantly. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I already get kind of annoyed by how frequently apps update, where it's like, I wish I could just have all of them update once a month. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, uh, security updates for phones is important, and I'm glad it's finally happening, at least for me. Yay for Patch Wednesday. I'm going to do it on Wednesdays, right? Uh, All right, so this one's kind of neat. Sharp plans to launch a DC-powered air conditioner in 2015. And get this, Alan, it could even potentially be powered by solar electricity. Exactly. Well, normally, if you have uh, solar panels on your roof or something, those are generating energy in DC, which then you have some converter that converts into AC, so Mm -hmm. you can use it in your house. So then the appliance uh, will then convert it from, or like, for example, a computer, uh, will convert it from AC back to DC to use it. And a bunch of energy gets wasted there. Uh, whereas if the air conditioner could run straight off the DC from the solar panel, uh, you would waste uh, less electricity and generate less heat. Because, <laughs> you know, if your air conditioner, right. the last thing you want to do is waste, right. uh, generate waste heat. Which is what that conversion process does. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing we talked about for uh, servers and data centers and so on. It's like, you know, we take in power off the power grid as AC and then we convert it to DC to store it in a battery uh, and then the battery converts it from DC back to AC to put it in your computer, which converts it from AC back to DC to run the computer. 
Whereas, you know, if you put the UPS battery directly inside the computer after the power supply, then you can just run straight off the DC, right? Mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah. Alan, so, this next story... solar and alternative energy, it's quite interesting. This next story is what, we, what, what can sometimes be confusing because multiple vendors now come out and use the same name for the same thing. iOS oh, is... Yes, although Cisco's been using I, iOS yeah, I know. since before anybody cared anything about Apple. Yeah, before Apple... Yeah, the capitalization yeah. is different. It is. That's all the difference in the world. But so Cisco's warning customers about an issue that affects their iOS. Yeah, well, a new attack where they're um, breaking in, uh, guessing common usernames, password, and so on into a Cisco device and replacing the firmware with one that does nasty things. Womp womp. Yeah, they use yeah. the ROM monitor, the program that initializes the hardware and software on iOS devices. The attacker is able to install a modified malicious image. But boop, boop, boop. There you go. Yeah. You need a good password on your router. Otherwise, people take it over and use it to launch denial of service attacks. Or in this case, uh, replace the ROM mon so that they can monitor all of your traffic and have it, you know, send a copy of all your packets over to them or whatever. I love that you put this next story in the roundup. Spy agency whistleblower posts a top secret report on, on 4chan, but users demiss it as fake and gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, yeah, so this was... Uh, Somebody from Australia who was upset with the spy agency and uh, posted some stuff and eventually got caught as well. But uh, the kind of I feel bad for him a little bit because he, you know, he was trying to be the next Snowden or something, and well, he picked and the he wrong shared place. it with the entirely wrong audience. Yeah, he did. and uh, they they just were like, "That's fake," and it wasn't. Uh, so speaking of uh, giving attribution, maybe even having a bounty programs, hey, Oracle, take a look over at Facebook. They just handed out some serious cash, didn't they? Yes. Oracle just uh, awarded the Internet Defense Prize for this year. They did one last year as well. Uh, but this year it was for twice as much money. And they awarded it to a team at Georgia Tech uh, University. The researchers found a new class of browser-based memory corruption vulnerability, mm. uh, which you know hadn't been uh, realized that was possible before. But importantly, they also built a detection technique for it so you can detect when it's being used against you. Hmm. And for that work, they will share the $100,000 prize. That's nice. The detection mm-hmm. prices. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Oh, exactly. hold on. This but next. On in t- top of je- uh, coming up with exploits, it's great when they come up with the fixes for them, too. This, uh, boy, uh, Adobe just wants all the love for me today. This uh, next Bloomberg story crashed Flash in my browser, which has then now made the whole page stop loading. So all I have is. <laughs> Oh, nothing but white. <laughs> you want to take this one? Funny. <laughs> I can't even. What is this one about, Alan? China uh, tied so, hackers. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh it yeah. loaded for a second. Just there, there it goes. Go. It's back. It's uh, back. <laughs> the team suspected to be behind the Anthem uh, healthcare breach mm. uh, may have also been the one that hit United Airlines. Oh, really? Now, how would they know that? Just uh, well, you remember was it Symantec has been uh, tearing into these yes. guys yes. in the yard? So. Yeah. Ah, but yeah, some of those computer glitches that grounded flights and so on may have actually been uh, United having to shut their systems down because they detected an intrusion. Now, didn't at the time United say it wasn't a hack? Right. Well, at first they blamed a failing router, and then it was like, oh, no. Now we're being made fun of because we don't have redundant routers, so that was a bad thing to blame it on. Um, <laughs> but then again, it could be a really kind of... Or like maybe the router attribution. went down. Well, it could be the reason the router went down is because someone was breaking in and screwing yeah, with I mean, it. Right? I, I mean, obviously, that's obviously a possibility. It, uh, but it but seems I, like it's... It was, my guess was that they shut their network down on purpose when they detected the intrusion, which is the right thing to do, yeah. except for that it disrupted a bunch of but flights. But then they came out and said it's not an attack at the time, which... Yeah. And well, now, and now it's... Well, sure, yeah. and okay. who knows. Just seems, it's, just, it's just a little, I don't know. 
Yeah. We, we just – we jump to attribution so quickly still that I just always get a little nervous. All right. So some Steam accounts hijacked following a security lapse. Oh, I heard about this. This is like mm-hmm. over like the last week, right? Um, yeah. In fact, some uh, Dota so pros who were uh, playing got a little screwed or something like that, if I recall. Yeah. So basically, uh, the password reset system, uh, you know, how it sends you an email with a link to confirm. Well, apparently the link uh, was predictable or whatever, and so somebody could reset without actually having gotten the email. Yeah. So I could take over anybody's account. Womp womp. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Pretty basic. And the timing wasn't so hot either, because I think there was a Dota 2 uh, contest going on. Uh, all right, so how three enterprising Chechen ladies took ISIS for $3,300. Yes. Mm, this smells like a good one, Alan. Uh, what do you know? Yeah, uh, so they did what's called catfishing, basically. Uh, basically, a mix of the Nigerian prince scam and uh, the I'm in love with you, pay for my plane ticket, and I'll come meet you, or whatever type of scams. Uh, but they scammed a bunch of these uh, ISIS fighters uh, into thinking that these girls were in love with them or whatever and give us some money so that we can meet up or whatever. Yeah, you know what? As the article points out... I have out, no plan to go there. As the article points out, maybe this is something the uh, CIA could try. They want to try to lead in some of these ISIS guys. Just uh, try this technique. Apparently it works. Yeah. Some honey traps seem to seem to work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It wouldn't be a TechSnap Roundup without a uh, Brian Krebs story. Ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen, here it is. Don't be fooled by phony online reviews. I agree. Yes. Uh, so this is a story of a guy who... Uh, was looking for a moving company to move from, like, Florida to uh, California. And uh, so he checked their online reviews, and they had a lot of really good online reviews. So he's like, all right, it's good enough. And uh, now his furniture is somewhere. They hired, and, like, somebody uh, to do reviews for them or something? Yeah. They, were, uh, well, they, they owned the site that all the reviews were on. They set up a fake review site. Basically. Oh, jeez. <clears throat> and when Krebs dug into the company, it's like this is the fifth company these two people have created with almost identical sounding names as moving companies, and they very often seem to uh, not actually deliver people's furniture when they move. And they're so just on. hoping you see that star rating, those numbers of reviews, their overall positive yep. theme, and you go, okay, good enough for me. And you know what? It's pretty much what I do on Amazon. <clears throat> and I know that's happened on Amazon a few times, so mm-hmm. what are you going to do, though? I mean, like. Well, Krebs talks a little bit about what to do and the fact that. Well, it's probably not fair. You actually have to look further and check other places. And, you know, obviously the Better Business Bureau isn't the greatest place to look, but, or, you know, they're not the arbiter of who's good and who's bad. But if they have a large number of complaints against the company, maybe yeah. you uh, yeah, use some more traditional you avoid them. Yeah. Especially with something really important. That makes yeah. sense. Well, yeah, especially, you know, uh, movers, you're usually spending a couple thousand dollars and they are taking all of your stuff. Now, finally, Alan, we have a way to explain IAS, PAS, and SAAS, or SAS, PASS, and IAS, or however you say the. <laughs> yes. So it's infrastructure as a service, a platform as a service, right. and software as a service, yes. and just regular traditional on-premise. So if you are going to get pizza with on-premise, you provide the dinner table and the soda and the uh, electricity or gas for the oven, the actual oven, the fire, the pizza dough, the tomato sauce, the toppings, and the cheese. Right. If if you're doing uh, premi- on premise, having your own servers, you provide everything. If you do infrastructure as a service, this is like when you go to like, I don't know. I picture this being something in Portland, where you go to a pizza place where they don't make pizza, but they let you come in and use their pizza oven for the pizza <laughs> yeah, that you okay. brought. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you take a pizza there and you bake it in their oven. But you had to provide the pizza dough and the tomato sauce and the toppings and the cheese. Right. But they provide the tables, the drinks, the, the oven, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. 
So in a uh, server thing, this is basically where you're renting the server from them, but you're doing all the... Uh, uh, they're, they're managing the server for you, but then you run your software on the server. Yeah. Right? That's infrastructure as a service. With platform as a service, that's basically where they only provide the place, right? It's like if you go to the park to eat your pizza, right? There's some picnic tables or whatever. Uh, so in that example, it's when you get pizza delivered. You have to provide the table and the soda, but, you know, the, the pizza place uh, cooked your pizza for you and provided all the pizza and they deliver it to you. So in a server perspective, this is where you rent only the hardware and you have to run the operating system and install the patches and you run the software. Whereas with platform as a service, they manage the operating system and down and you manage the app and up. Mm -hmm. Whereas with platform as a service, they manage the hardware only and you manage everything above that, including the operating system. Or uh, with your software as a service, this is like dining out. You provide nothing. You just show up. So this is something where... uh, you know, like uh, Salesforce and stuff, where you just pay a monthly fee to use the software on their website, and you don't nothing of it runs on hardware you own. And I think that actually uh, explains it fairly well. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the difference between making a pizza from scratch at home versus uh, kind of like DiGiorno, but taking it to someone else's house to cook it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, versus getting delivery versus going out to eat. I like that, it does, and uh, they'll have a link yeah. to that in the show notes. You can uh, pass that around if you uh, want to share that or look at mm-hmm. it. Or if you were listening and you want the visual of it, which helps as well. But Alan's explanation was fantastic. Okay, Alan, so that brings us to the end of the TechSnap program. we got a couple of essentials. So next week we won't be live on our regular time because we're pre-recording because Alan's traveling like a, like a madman. <clears throat> so uh, we will be live the week following that. And mm-hmm. we'd love to have you join us live. You can check the calendar for all our updates on our live times because they will be moving around for a little while, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And please, the, one of the biggest ways you can help the show continue on and keep us going is by supporting us by contributing to our subreddit, techsnap.reddit.com, or by sending us in your questions. Just uh, go over to the uh, contact page and choose TechSnap from the dropdown. That gives us uh, content to fuel these shows while we do all these extras, and we want to keep everything sharp and on point. Don't forget, jblive.tv is the live spot, and we also have jblive.info for the audio streams, high bandwidth and low bandwidth. RSS feeds are also available of this show, so you can just subscribe and get us automatically every single week. And copious links for everything Alan talked about today are in the show notes. Just go find episode 227 over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Scroll down past the download links. Boom. All them links for everything he's been talking about right there. Okay. Well, thanks, Alan, and thank you for tuning this week's episode of TechSnap. We'll see you right back here next week. 